Just about 8.09, and according to the Health and Welfare Ministry here, over 165,000 Korean-born children have been adopted overseas since the end of the Korean War, but tens of thousands have been left undocumented. November is National Adoption Awareness Month in the US, and we're now able to hear from an advocate for adoptee equality. Let's welcome on the line Sung-Hwan Jang, Program Director of the Korean-American Grassroots Conference in Washington, D.C. Good morning to you from Seoul. Thanks for taking the time. Good morning, Alex. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure, as I say. But we have quite a a significant number of adoptees uh, raised in the U.S. since childhood, but without American citizenship. 49,000 from around the world. What's gone wrong? Well, uh, you're right. And 49,000 is actually just the ones that we estimate between those adopted between 1945 and 1998. So by this time next year around, uh, the number could go over 65,000. And usually um, there's three reasons. Uh, is that one, uh, once they were adopted into the United States, they the adoptive parents didn't have sufficient information or misled by the adoption agencies or attorneys, or they simply uh, want, uh, wanted to uh, abuse the children at the time. Um, and not to mention, um, until before 2000, uh, the adoption laws, international adoption laws, were incredibly lengthy and complicated. Um, and most of the time, the parents simply didn't know that they were supposed to uh, apply for naturalization because um, you would think if you're you're adopting a child that your children too would automatically become citizens. The story of abuse is one we've tragically heard before, and and it's just horrendous the idea that someone would have that intention, but also horrendous that it's allowed to happen that people who with the intention of abuse were able to adopt children especially from a Korean point of view, when we consider that among undocumented adoptees, over half of them are Korean-born. Why is that? Uh, Well, the primary reason is that simply uh, among the international adoptees, um, well, up until the 2010s, last decade, uh, was that uh, over half of them were from Korea. Um, So by the sheer number of uh, the numerical majority of Korean-born international adoptees, um, just as so many are uh, undocumented here in the United States. Right. Um, th- there have been some steps in terms of the legal framework here in South Korea. The government revised the adoption law in 2012 to make sure adoptees are automatically guaranteed U.S. citizenship upon arrival. What was the system like before 2012? Um, well, the, the main difference... There's mainly two differences. One is that um, the Korean government uh, didn't um, follow through until the very end of the adoption process to confirm that the uh, adopted children had uh, gained the uh, citizenship of the countries they were adopted to. And the second problem was that um, in the United States, uh, adoption laws are usually governed by the state, whereas the immigration laws um, in case of international adoption are uh, governed by federal laws. So because of the discrepancies and because of the misinformation, um, the citizenship just wasn't granted or even, uh, you know, took a long time for for the children to uh, get the naturalization status. 
Um, but back in 2000, a uh, federal law was passed to automatically grant citizenship to uh, foreign-born children adopted by uh, American parents. Um, so those two are the main differences. What about Korean legal status, though? For example, like so, uh, if you wanted to come back or if so, an adoptee wanted to come back having been born in Korea, but they have this U.S. citizenship, would they be able to do that easily? They uh, Well, so when the uh, children are adopted into the United States from Korea, um, part of the uh, practice, uh, to my knowledge, uh, is that since 2012, is that the children uh, forfeit their uh, Korean citizenship. But that is not to say... Um, because when, when they reach adulthood or even before that, if they were to try to visit Korea, um, then by then they're just uh, would be treated as a regular U.S. citizen. Um, so there, there's not much uh, problem of them visiting Korea. Right. But living and working, you, you have to go through just like a U.S. citizen or, or would you perhaps be recognized in a slightly different light because of the adoption status? Um, they would be treated just as uh, any foreigners or U.S. citizens. And in the U.S., from the American side, during the Clinton administration, the Child Citizenship Act was passed in 2000 to allow international adoptees to acquire U.S. citizenship automatically. But why wasn't that enough? Um, well, the, the law was perfect. Its intention uh, was meant to address this issue that uh, we've been talking about the past few minutes. But uh, at some point, uh, right before the uh, signing or enactment of the law, there was a language introduced to the law uh, limiting the application of the uh, automatic and who are under the age of 18 uh, at the time of signing, which resulted in all those who have reached uh, adult who had reached adulthood uh, back in 2001, um, them not getting automatic citizenship. Um, though all those adopted afterwards from overseas uh, become automatic citizens. Uh, but which is, again, why we have uh, so many, uh, over 49,000 inter-country adoptees who still lack uh, U.S. citizenship today. There have been high-profile cases in the past of adoptees who've ended up involving crime partially or, or more than partially because of uh, their own history of being abused. And there are, of course, other cases where you know, completely innocently, they've been the victim of this undocumented situation. Can you describe for us further some of the daily struggles undocumented adoptees face? I mean, you're, you're right, Alex. Uh, there's dozens of uh, intercountry adoptees who have been deported to their uh, quote unquote home countries that they have no recollection of or any acquaintances of. Um, of course, yeah, uh, like you mentioned, a very, very small select few cases are a result of criminal uh, offenses, but other cases are simple, um, you know, as simple as something like getting pulled over um, for a traffic violation and um, the police officer finding out that they're undocumented. Um, so that would be one of the daily struggles, the fear of being deported for um, a supposedly in, uh, innocuous offense like that or even getting a driver's license or flying domestically um, or even getting a, getting a full-time job because you don't have a birth record, you don't have birth certificate, social security number, or could, you couldn't get um, any government-backed 
uh, IDs, uh, in, unless you live in select few cities. Um, that is to say, you you wouldn't be able to get a job um, that is uh, unless you're paid um, under the table. Yeah, it, it really is almost madness that this situation has been able to develop. Uh, again, though, looking at the attempts to put it right legally in May of this year, Democratic Representative Adam Smith and Republican Representative Rob Woodall introduced the Adoptee Citizenship Act of 2019, HR 2731, if anyone wants to look that up. Can you tell us a bit more about it, though, and, and what sort of reaction it's had? Yes. Uh, so the bill um, has been introduced uh, every every Congress, that is, every two years since 2016. And uh, like you said, Congressman Adam Smith has been the lead on it for, for uh, over the years. The bill seeks to uh, address exactly this gap to retroactively and automatically grant citizenship to all intercountry adoptees who didn't get the benefit from the Child Citizenship Act of 2000. And this year's bill especially um, is noteworthy in that it would grant citizenship to those who don't reside in the United States as well. And that would include some of the um, some of the people um, in the cases uh, that you mentioned a minute ago. Um, uh, one thing that we're very optimistic about is that um, this bill this in this Congress, uh, even though and I don't have to tell you how politically divided um, the United States is today. But despite that, we are seeing a lot of bipartisan support. Uh, we are seeing um, a record number of Republican and Democratic co-sponsors at a rate faster than any Congress or any years um, before. Um, so we're optimistic that this will move forward. And in fact, uh, earlier today on Capitol Hill, we held a uh, reception to formally announce the launch of the National Alliance for Adoptee Equality, which is a newly forming uh, national coalition of 21 uh, advocates and uh, community organizations, as well as religious groups from 15 states um, and uh, advisors who have been legal scholars and uh, policy experts on this topic. Um, we were joined by um, Congressman Adam Smith and Rob Woodall, who both introduced this bill earlier this year, as well as uh, other members of Congress who uh, co-sponsored the bill. Um, and this, as of this morning, we have 15 uh, Republican co-sponsors and 14 Democratic co-sponsors in the House. And we are expecting to see a whole lot more, both in the House and the Senate. Thank you very much, Sung Guan Chang, Program Director of the Korean American Grassroots Conference in Washington, D.C.